Hello, welcome to Golden Beer Talks. How lovely to see all of you and to be looked down upon by all of you. <laughs> We're gonna get started. We got a couple quick things to think about. One is the very special table concept. If you weren't here for our October gathering, once a year we have a little casual um, but exceptionally professional auction where we auction off an experience which is the very special table. You might note it over here with the candles and the flowers and the tablecloth and all the delicious foods and beers. So our benefactors tonight are Luann and Jim Dale and they are possibly the biggest supporters of Golden Beer Talks. Yeah, pretty amazing. They're using up their 2019 auction winnings so they can prep for their 2020 auction winnings because they support us every year. And Jim is also our volunteer auctioneer. So we are very grateful. Thank you so much, you guys. Appreciate it. You let us know when you need that second beer. All right. <laughs> we're just a group of volunteer folks that put together this speaker series. For our first five years, we were across the street at the Windy Saddle, and we kind of outgrew it. So we came over here when the Rose reopened. As you can see, it's an amazing venue. And these folks treat us so right. They take care of us in just every respect, and we are so grateful. It would be great to have a hand for the folks back here at the Buffalo Rose. You may be somewhat familiar with some of the history of this building, but if you're not, then um, it, it is a good idea to learn a little bit about it. It's had many incarnations, and there are some plaques around the building kind of talking about some of the lifetimes it's had as an automotive garage, as a swimming pool, as a biker bar, and, um, and, and in its current iteration, it is this epic part of our community that we are so privileged to be part of and so grateful to have um, for Beer Talks and, and for the rest of the activities that happen here around our town. These guys really support our community, and they bring in some amazing beers for us when we ask them to for this event. So we appreciate your support in um, stepping up to enjoy some of those beers. We have an amazing beer tonight because it's a guest tap from a golden brewer. Yeah? Amazing. So, so the fellow who opened this brewery happens to live four blocks away from this current location. And he's going to come up here and talk a little bit about their brewery and what they're serving tonight. His name is Ryan. Come on up, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a turnout. This is, this is great. You're a beer. <laughs> back. back further? There we go. Maybe that's better. Back here, <laughs> I can talk loud. I don't need a mic. So my name's Ryan Evans. I've got my wife here, Rachel, as well. And we do. We live here in downtown Golden, and uh, we own and operate Brews Beers. So we brought you two beers tonight. One is our toasted oat stout, which worked out nice for a nice cold night. And uh, the second one here is our Dom Blanc, which is a white wheat beer. Uh, we're an all-Belgian-style brewery, uh, so we only do Belgian styles. We've been around about four years. We're about to open a second tasting room this weekend on Colfax and York, so we'll have a, a downtown location, but uh, our original one will stay running, and that's our, our brewery and tap room, and it's at 67th and Pecos. Uh, so from here, it's about 15 minutes to get there, uh, 58 to 70 to 76 and ex exit Pecos. So. 
excited to be a part of this and be able to walk walk down here and, and hear the talk. Um, you know, Belgian beer is what we do. We live, eat, and breathe it. If you want to talk Belgian beers, just pull me aside after tonight and we can talk. We, we take uh, guided tours over to Belgium, so if you're looking for a fun excuse to get out of the country for 10 days and eat, drink, and talk to people, I'm your guide. So, um, yeah, that's it. We're, we're excited to be a part of the community here and, uh, and showcase some of our beers and uh, look forward to meeting more of you and hearing this uh, awesome presentation. So I think uh, we'll have Frank come up next and talk about our uh, speaker of the night. Cheers. Hello, I'm Frank Blaha, uh, and I'm actually the husband or the spousal unit of the speaker tonight. <laughs> I, w I was out starting to put up my Christmas lights. Speaking of community, I was out starting to put up my Christmas lights Sunday morning, and I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if she's going to give me something to say or not. And I, as I was out there, my city councilor, who will remain unnamed, Jim Dale, came by to heckle me. He said, yeah, you need to get your Christmas lights up. You should have been doing this earlier. And we talked about my neighbor who, curse him, had his lights up before Thanksgiving. So you don't get that sort of community everywhere where your city councilor will yell at you about putting up your Christmas lights. Anyway, so Barb Warden is our speaker tonight, and she runs the website goldentoday.com. And she did give me something to say. And I realize the consequences of my actions, so I'm going to stay pretty much on script. <laughs> and she runs a website, goldentoday.com, and is the author of the daily email, What's Happening in Golden. And if you wonder why it comes out in the middle of the night, it's because that's when she's working on it. And uh, her um, daily email often delves into obscure, esoteric, golden history topics. For her work with that site, she has received the Golden Chamber Civic Award, the Golden Mayor's Award, and the Golden Landmarks Living, Golden Landmark Association's Living Landmarks Award. And she is a living landmark. She's still with us. She is also <laughs> the past president of Leadership Golden and one of the founders of Golden Beer Talks. So she was here like a little over five years ago or across the street. Actually, we, we wound up at um, uh, Harmony Village because there was a uh, water outage at uh, Windy Saddle that day, last minute thing, and so we went over to Harmony Village and had the first Golden Beer Talks over there, the only one that was there. Barb is also the author of three books about Golden, including Funiculars of Golden, Colorado, and we have a few for sale if you're interested in it, and she teaches a Golden History class and is a frequent guest lecturer and tour guide on Golden History topics. So, my wife, Barbara Warden. Hello. Um, before we take this down, I wanted to tell you what's been cycling through here for the last half hour. I have always wanted to have a video of what it would have looked like to be on the funiculars going down from Castle Rock and back up, and um, there was one over on Lookout Mountain, too. And so I shamelessly sent a note to a man I've never met. Um, he posts things on next door sometimes. His name is Patrick Klein, and he uh, posted one of the 
of 8th Street and the Washington Avenue project, and I thought, well, okay. So anyway, I asked him if he would like to um, make funicular videos, and he very kindly did. Unfortunately, he's not here tonight, but in absentia, let's just give Pat a round of applause. And now we're switching into the history part. So Golden started as a gold rush town when the uh, Pikes Peak Gold Rush started in 1859. And I'm not really going to go through every detail from 1859 up. I just wanted to give you some context for how we came to have these railroads. Um, yeah, sorry. Hey, it worked. Okay, so we started as a commercial center. Uh, the people who settled in Golden had been in other gold rushes. Many of them had been to California. The 1849 gold rush was just 10 years earlier. And a lot of them had been out there and a lot of them had learned that most people don't make anything in a gold rush. Um, but the people who really do well, who make a lot of money, are the people who sell things to the miners. And so golden people came here and set up stores. Um, one of them was George West. He was one of the earliest arrivals. He was the one who started the golden transcript and uh, William Loveland, as in Loveland Pass and Town of Loveland, and anyway, Loveland, um, started another one, the stores. In fact, in fact, that's Loveland's store right there. This is Washington Avenue. So we were um, in the store business until in 1870, we got a railroad. And then we were able to hit the big time because when you have nothing but horses and wagons um, to bring things in and out, you're very limited on what you can do. Once we got a railroad in 1870, um, we set up all these industries. We had, well, and the earliest, of course, was Coors. They started in 1873. Uh, but we also had a bunch of coal mines around here. And there was an electric power plant in the next block over, right about where our parking garage is now. Uh, we had several brick making companies, and the reason for that is because there's a lot of clay here in Golden. And um, these were all made possible because we had a railroad. Um, a lot of our industries were on 8th Street, just a couple blocks from here and um, they wanted to be right on the railroad. So that's our brickwork on the railroad on what is now 8th Street. Uh, this is a paper mill that was on 9th Street. And towards the turn of the century, we had a lot of smelters. Um, They're horribly polluting industries and we were very happy to have them because we just liked heavy industry and our, our dream really was to be something like Pittsburgh, um, sure, uh, with a pall of smoke hanging over us. <laughs> then, in 1890, um, we got our first interurban railroad, and it came through um, Lakewood. And interurbans were different from regular railroads in that they were generally electric, they were cleaner, they were, because um, they didn't have coal-burning engines dropping soot all over you and stuff. Um, and they were intended basically for passenger service. So 
Our first one was built in 1891 by Loveland, who was still alive at that time, um, died shortly thereafter. Um, and the reason when we got light rail passed through RTD, the reason the W line was the first one built was because a lot of the old right-of-way was still available um, going through Lakewood. Then we got another one in 1904. Um, that one came between the two table mountains and went through Arvada and came past Coors. And they both landed downtown at 13th and Washington, which is, um, well, one block out from here. And when the urbans came, we had a new industry, tourism. Because tourism was starting to be a big thing throughout the United States at this time. Um, Prior to the advent of the transcontinental railroads and a lot of railroad development in um, America, if you were going to do the grand tour, if you were going to tour, you know, travel, um, you would generally go to Europe. And so it was kind of a thing for the wealthy. Um, Europe had well-established hotels and railways and things like that. And America was still pretty underdeveloped tourism-wise, but um, the railroads got together about the time the national parks were being built and they worked out this tourism campaign called See America First. And as you can see from Uncle Sam there, they made it a patriotic thing to go take a vacation in America. And the railroads did a lot about this and many of them built uh, lodges in the new national parks. And so I remember when we were in Glacier, you could take the train right up to the door of the big lodge there at Glacier National Park. And um, a lot of the national parks were set up that way. So after we had done it at the national level, established this new tourism thing, um, it became kind of a step lower, more local. And um, places like Denver, well, cities all over the world, would start developing things that were specifically intended as tourist attractions. And they would develop things like, this is Lakeside Amusement Park. And this is Elitch Gardens in their old location. And they would work this out with um, the tramway company, the people who did the interurbans, and um, you know, negotiate a deal. The tramway wouldn't build a line out there until they had some reason to go there. And people didn't want to build an amusement park until they knew there was going to be a tramway line going there, because that was the way people commuted. Um, there weren't automobiles yet. So we had the first tier that was national parks and then the second tier that was pretty big things in pretty big cities like Elitch Gardens. And then more local places, well, smaller places like Golden decided, well, we should get in on this tourism industry. So the family that owned the Avenue Hotel, which is that building there, Decide, and decided that they were going to build a resort on Castle Rock. And I puzzled over that word resort for a long time. Because when I think of a resort, I think of generally palm trees and certainly drinks with little umbrellas in them. <laughs> I discovered through lots of searching on the word resort that they use that. They have much lower standards than we do for what constitutes a resort. Um, it would be anywhere that people might want to hang out 
And finally, I read an article that said, um, we have young louts using the post office as their resort. And I thought, okay, I understand now. A resort is any place people go to hang out. <laughs> so the owners of the Avenue Hotel um, definitely had a saloon downstairs, and they definitely wanted to have a liquor license for Castle Rock. And it was outside the city limits, but I guess there was a law that said if it was this close to our city, then we had the right to vote on it. And Golden definitely voted it down. They didn't want a liquor license up there on Castle Rock. Um, this discouraged the owners, and they decided, well, we don't really want to be in the resort business then. It's just, it's a lot of work having to bring things up there. And anyway, so they quickly got out of the resort business. But um, a young man named Charlie Coynton's bought it. And he was an interesting guy. Um, I started searching on his name, and he just did a lot of things all the time. He was very busy. He did um, amateur theatricals to raise money for local charities. He did, um, well, he started a photography business, I think right out of school, and he set up a photography studio at 13th and Washington, and then he was just looking for more stuff to do. And so he decided, well, I'll just buy that resort. And so he bought the resort, and he bought a string of burrows um, so that people could ride up to the resort. And um, so he did that for a few years. It was, um, sorry, um, the photograph part was a big part of his business plan since he you know, had started as a photographer. And so you will find a lot of these photos of uh, various family groups or group groups uh, with Castle Rock in the background because part of his business plan was taking a photo of you before you left and you would have it developed by the time you got back, which is a lot like Disneyland. <laughs> and so if you search for antique postcards, as I do, you'll see these all the time. And I think the Gardner family has a big collection of them because they now own that building that used to be the photography studio. But they were not the only ones who thought that we should have a mountain resort near Golden. At the same time that the acquaintances were developing Castle Rock, there was um, a man named Reese Vidler, and it wasn't just him and it wasn't a family operation, it was a, a bunch of stockholders. They wanted to develop Lookout Mountain to be a resort. And their idea of a resort involved a lot of um, guest cottages, and they wanted to have a luxury hotel up there. And it was a problem um, because it's kind of hard to get to the top of Lookout Mountain. They didn't have cars, there wasn't a railway, and so they kept going to the tramway company that did the inner urbans and streetcars and stuff and asking them to lay track clear out there. And I'm not sure how they intended to get them vertically after that, but they definitely were trying to get people to the base of Lookout Mountain and were having no luck with that. So, Vidler decided Oh, and I should say, um, the two of them were in heated competition. Fiddler uh, had his own string of burrows, and so he and um, Charlie Coynton's would both meet the um, cars when they came in from Denver, and they would like hawk them, you know, you, you should come over here and see my resort, and, and I have the finest burrows, and so the guy who owned 
Lookout Mountain was saying, you've come all this way, do you really want to go to a short mountain? I have a much taller mountain. <laughs> and Quaintance would say, but that one is so far away, it's so inconvenient. Look, mine's right here. So, Vidler built an inclined railway. So that just added a whole new level of cool to his resort. And so the year 1912, all of the newspapers in the metro area were full of these articles of uh, groups and conventions and stuff, and they were all coming out to Golden so that they could ride the Lookout Mountain funicular. And this was very annoying to Quaintance, who still had old-fashioned burrows. But you can see, it was inconvenient. That's where the Lookout Mountain funicular was, and it's quite a ways from downtown. So they solved that by um, a guy named Bill Williams, who lived here in town. He was actually called Cement Bill Williams. He was listed in the phone book as Cement Bill Williams, because he did a lot of construction work, and he used a lot of cement. <laughs> Um, so he thought that automobiles were a coming thing. And um, at that time, people kind of dismissed them. They didn't think that regular people were ever going to have automobiles. They thought they were just going to be the province of the wealthy. Um, in fact, I did some searching through old Golden transcripts. And as far as I can tell, the first automobile in Golden was in 1902. And it was bought by the banker, of course. Um, but the transcript wrote about them for years, like starting in the 1880s, and they, they wrote about them like they were flying saucers, these wildly improbable machines that we'll never see. Anyway, Bill Williams thought we were going to see more of them, and he bought some Stanley steamers, and he set up a ride service, and he would take people over to the base of the Lookout Mountain funicular. So that was just part of your overall thrilling ride. You would take the inner urban out to Golden, you would get on an automobile, and then you would take the funicular up to the top of the mountain. So this was irritating to Quaintance. So the next year, he built his own funicular. And I love that picture on the right, because it always looks so chaotic. <laughs> Holding onto their hats and the, the brake man sort of falling out the front. <laughs> anyway. Um, he built, um, in addition to his own funicular, he upgraded his facilities on the top of the mountain. He built a dance hall and a, um, an observation tower, which you can see there. And people are always curious to see that. And as far as I know, there are no good pictures. And so I've really scrounged around and found some bad pictures to show you. So there is that on Castle Rock. And then here's a close-up of what the dance hall looked like. And Coynton's was quite a marketer. Um, he did a lot of, he did brochures that he would put in the um, hotels in Denver, and he s had these postcards, um, and he did a big ceremony when they opened the railway. He chose a local maiden, and you know her name was Maud McGregor, and she got to flick the switch and turn on all the lights. They had lights around the edge of Castle Rock. They had lights all around the, um, path of the funicular, and it was a big deal. So through the year 1913, both of the funiculars were doing really well. A lot of people would come out from Denver and they would ride our funiculars. So we had tourism going. But the same time that the two of them were doing funiculars and were 
very focused on each other and how they could beat each other in the, in the tourism game, there were these other things going on. The city of Denver decided they wanted a mountain park system and at the same time cement Bill Williams, who just looks like a stealth player when you look at him, doesn't he? Cement Bill Williams decided we needed an automobile road going up Lookout Mountain. So he built one. And there it is. That's our Lariat Loop Trail that's still there. And he set up a garage with his fleet of cars that he would use to take people out into the mountains. And this building is still there, and who recognizes what it is? That's Woody's Pizza. That was Bill Williams' garage. So in spite of everybody thinking that automobiles were never going to catch on, automobiles did catch on. And the um, Denver Tourism Bureau uh, did a massive advertising campaign that they sent out all over the country with all these pictures of people so conveniently being in the mountains. You know, you just drive up there in your automobile because the Denver Mountain Parks were always intended to be automobile-centric. And they sent out these pictures of women in white dresses because it was so clean and easy to get up there. And this is one of my favorites. This is one of their pictures for their tourism campaign of a group having a, a picnic up in Lookout Mountain Park. And I like the fact that their automobiles are part of the picture because I think today we would crap those out as, you know, that's not part of our romantic nature idol, idol. but um, at the time that just added to the coolness factor of the whole thing. They were up on a mountain and they got there by cars. So, the sudden popularity and accessibility of the mountains by automobile was really hard on the funicular business. And by 1919, both of them, who had been so wildly popular for so short a period of time, were out of business. The, um, I'm not sure when the rails went away from, from the Castle Rock one, but I do know that the buildings burned down in 1927, and in 1930, they were selling the rails from the Lookout Mountain one for scrap, and the scrap company decided the easiest way to get them to the bottom of the mountain would be to just roll them down. And they hit rocks, and they struck sparks, and they started the whole mountain on fire. <laughs> and this is a side note, but an interesting thing is that they put out the fire with the help of the boys from the Lookout Mountain Industrial School, as they called it at that time. And they were much more a part of our society than they are today. They weren't, anyway, so the boys put out the fire. So what's left of the funiculars is these two scars. The one up Castle Rock, you can see most of the time from, you know, a lot of places downtown anywhere north of Castle Rock. The one on Lookout Mountain is harder to see and it's easiest to see when there's snow because it um, emphasizes the impression a little more. Um, it goes from about where the city has a water tank, which is just south of Beverly Heights, that park and that neighborhood, and it goes up to about where the antennas are on Lookout Mountain. Well, there is some story about that, and I was 
you know, if somebody had asked me, I would have happily bet that somebody would ask me about the KKK. <laughs> that, no, it's not actually in the last slide, but we do have a Q&A afterwards, and I'm happy to talk about it, but it's not directly related to the funiculars. So, this is completely unrelated to the funiculars, but I thought you would find it interesting because we're here where we are tonight. Um, garage, or uh, automobiles did continue to be a thing, and this building was built in 1922 as a garage. Um, so they would not only service automobiles, but they sold them here in this building. And after it had been a garage for about five years, the owner, decided to turn it into an indoor swimming pool. And so that pool, which you may have heard about for years, is actually right under our feet right now. All of you are right above the pool. <laughs> Got to see it a few years ago. And that's all I have to say. And I finished under time. If um, you're interested in the book, which I wrote in 2012, you can get it at the Golden History Museum or the Colorado Railroad Museum or with Joel back there holding up a book. <laughs> and I'll be back for Q&A later. That was great, Barb. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to take a break now for about five minutes, and uh, we'll come back and have our Q&A session. And so think of your KKK and other questions. But as a little advertisement for our January speaker, we have another hometown favorite, and that's Charlie Sturdivant of the Golden City Brewery. Yeah. So Charlie was here in uh, April 2015. He gave a beer talks, and uh, along with Lakpa Sherpa, and they talked about a brewery that they were building together in Nepal. And so Charlie's coming back to our stage. Uh, right on the heels of a recent trip to Nepal, and he's going to give us an update on the activities at the um, brewery there, talk about the impact the brewery's had on the local community and the challenges of operating a business in a third world country. So that's on January 14th. All right, we'll take our break, and we'll be back in about five minutes. Thank you.
Okay, everybody. I'm sure you've thought of your questions by now. Yeah. All right, here's how it works for the Q&A, because it's best when everybody hears the question. We ask you if you have a question to go over there to a microphone where, yep, there you go. There's the microphone. Dave was waving. And um, Barb is going to come up, and she'll just sort of call on you one by one. Here you go, Barb. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Barb. Hello. So I have a question. I know that there was a funicular at Red Rocks also, right? It yes. ran up to Mount yes. Morrison. Mount Morrison. Right. Yeah, and in I fact, that, that one was built earlier. That was like 1909. And that was the guy who owned Red Rocks made it a resort, too, yep. I think. So uh, were there any others besides the one at Mar Mount Morrison? You know, until pretty recently, there was one down in Manitou Springs, like recently within the last 20 years or so. And they've taken that one out, and that's now like a, a runner's path. Oh, um, the there used to be one down in Royal Gorge, and Frank and I went down and rode on that one, but they had a big fire there in Royal Gorge, and they're not rebuilding the funicular. So we've lost the ones that were in Colorado, but there are still some in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. There's one in Los Angeles. There are two in Pittsburgh, one in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, one in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Mount Washington. Another one I have to get to. You should this have is a, what we do on vacations now. You we should have a funicular guide tour and just take people all around to different Oh, that'd be fun. I know. Yeah. So uh, I know the one at Mount Morrison, there's up at the top, there's like an old boiler. I assume that maybe it was steam driven with the boiler that's up on the top. I don't know that. You don't? I know that. The golden one was close enough. They just had electric lines. It was electric driven. Right. Okay, thanks. Sure. Hi, Jim. Hi, Barb. Uh, one quick one. Biddler. Is a tunnel named after the same guy? Yep. Second one. So I was thinking, as Dr. Tom Noel told me, you know the smoke coming off of the, the dance hall at the castle? Mm -hmm. that the KKK may have gone up there and that's the fire they created. And it could be true, it could not be true, but that's what I heard. Okay, I figured it wouldn't be long before we got to the KKK. <laughs> so in, um, I think 1915, a movie came out called The Birth of a Nation. And if you've seen that, you know it, was, it is the most shockingly racist movie you've ever seen. Um, and it was, it was a silent film, obviously, in 1915. And although the KKK had started after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, it was, it was pretty well put down. And even the founder, Nathan Bedford Forrest, quit because it got too violent for him. And he was a violent guy. Anyway, the KKK had kind of gone away. But then in the 19-teens, we started on this big surge of um, a resurgence of the KKK. And oddly, it was founded in Indiana this time, not in the Deep South. And it just turned into a big thing all over the United States. And they tried to uh, portray themselves as kind of a social club, like the Rotary or the Kiwanis or something <laughs> like that. And they would do things like um, you know, give to causes that they liked, um, there are a couple of newspaper articles about them 
coming into the Presbyterian Church and giving them $100, walking into the Methodist Church and donating a rug that the church had wanted. So they were right here in Golden, but they were also everywhere else in the country and all over the Denver metro area. And the Klansmen from the whole metro area decided that South Table Mountain, specifically Castle Rock, would be a good place to meet because it was so high up and prominent and all that, and they actually burned crosses up on Castle Rock. And the people in Golden down below found that pretty disconcerting. And um, I don't know whether there was any connection or not. You know, the official line in the newspaper at the time was there were some youths from Denver who came and started a fire. And other people think that it was started because people were just sick of seeing the Klan up there. And, and I don't even know whether the Klan was using the buildings from the old dance hall, but they were eyesores at this point. You know, the, the funicular was long since out of business. Nobody was using it as a resort anymore. And so when it burned down in 1927, people were pleased to see it. And as for the end of the KKK, that was happening at about the same time because there was a lot of um, fraud and embezzlement going on with their dues and the organization just kind of imploded. And so they were big for about 10 years from about 1915 to about 1925 and then they kind of went away again. And then came back again in the 60s with the Civil Rights Movement. So that's what I know about the KKK. Hi, Barb. I think oh. you were uh, close friends uh, with my uh, previous partner, uh, Jerry Hodgson, who I'm sure is looking down on this and enjoying every moment of it. Uh, but I'd like you to address uh, another uh, rumor. Um, if you go up the track where the funicular was, up to Castle Rock, and get to the point where about the same level as the base of the uh, basaltic units up there, there's a very large boulder right in the middle of the track. And it's held in place by some extremely large rebar and cables to keep it from rolling down. Um, does that ring a bell at all? No, not at all. Okay. Is so, it up so quite near the top? What I heard was that one of the Corps' matriarchs at one point uh, looked up there and said, you guys get your butts up there and, and make sure that that boulder doesn't roll down into the, <laughs> the, into the house, into the living room down here. And uh, uh, so... I, that was my question, whether you had any information about that. So. I don't, but Jerry Hodgson would have been well, a good one to ask, but have. you tell me he didn't <laughs> know either. No, I'm sorry, I just don't Thank know. Thank you. Yes, Daniel. Pull this down a little bit. There's a, uh, a set of steps uh, right on Castle Peak, mm -hmm. and I've always thought, but not actually known or uh, ever had it confirmed, that they were built there at the, uh, for the dance hall. Were those uh, placed there by uh, Cement Bill Williams? <laughs> I don't know that it was Cement Bill Williams, but it was part of the development when the funicular went in. That led to the point where you would get off the funicular and then walk over to the dance hall. So, so the that steps was that are still left what was part of that whole development. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. Hi. Hi. Was there any connection between, what well, I don't can't get the date straight, between Prohibition and the dance hall? Was there drinking up there? Well, I'll bet you there was. However, they didn't have a liquor license and prohibition went in earlier in Colorado than it did in the rest of the country. Um, we started our prohibition on January 1st, 1916. 
The rest of the country didn't go in until 1920. So uh, I guess when they were built in 1912 and 1913, it was still legal, but I don't think it was being served there, at least not officially. People probably had hip flasks and stuff. I have one more question. Yeah. How long was it actually a dance hall? What, how long did it stand? Well, did it stand or was it in business? They built a dance floor, and I'm not sure if it was the same as that whole building that we saw, but there was a dance floor as early as about 1910, and then any buildings that were there burned down in 1927. Any other questions? Yes, Frank? All right, so this is about the funiculars of Golden. So I know about that. Hmm? I know about that. Yeah. There's a cog railway up to Pikes Peak. Is that a funicular? Tell us what a funicular really is. What Funny you should ask. It. <laughs> no, a cog railway is similar, but it's the, technically it is different. Cogs, um, a cog railway has cogs underneath, and the cogs all turn and kind of, you know, boost the, the, the car up that way. A funicular is... Um, based on a Latin word that, since I never took Latin, don't really know how to pronounce, but something like funi, F-U-N-I, and that means a cord. And a funicular is, is kind of like an elevator in that they run in pairs and one goes up while the other goes down. And sometimes they have two separate tracks and there's a wheel at the top and they roll around that wheel. And uh, sometimes they have two separate tracks running next to each other. Sometimes they have a, share, or, yeah, a shared track through most of the length, and then in the middle, there's a passing zone where one goes out to the right and the other goes out to the left, and they pass that way. But they're held together with a cord, a funi. Yes, sorry it didn't last long, but yes. If you get to look at a close-up of the funicular railway, which I have spent hours doing, um, you can see those cables. Anything else? Okay. Thank you very much. Barb already has the t-shirt. All right, we'll see everybody in January. Thank you.